This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Welcome to the July edition of Schroeder's Global Market Perspective. This is a podcast where we talk about the issues that matter to South African investors who invest globally. This is Gavin Ralston. I'm talking to you from London in conversation today with Azad Zangana, Schroeder's senior economist. I was in South Africa earlier in June um, and met a number of South African investors in London later in the month. There were two main talking points. One was the disappointing performance of the South African cricket team in the World Cup and the other the equally disappointing growth numbers for the South African economy in the first quarter. We can't give you much insight on the former today but we hope in the next 20 minutes to explain the global economic context for the latter. Azad and I last spoke on this podcast in March. At that point, markets were still anticipating one rate rise from the Federal Reserve in 2019, then possibly rate cuts in 2020. Now we're looking at a market that is pricing in three rate cuts, totaling 75 basis points in 2019, and the Federal Reserve is doing very little to discourage that thinking. Azad, is the growth outlook really poor enough to justify that scale of easing? The 75 basis points is quite a big move. Yes, it is. Um, and it's a tremendous change in sentiment, not only in, in markets, but also in terms of the communication um, from the Fed. And to be honest, the, the direct answer to your question is uh, no. Um, it's it's not justified. The, the fundamentals still look very solid. Uh, there is certainly some concern around some of the leading indicators that have softened up quite a bit in in, in recent months. But the way that um, the uh, potential interest rate cuts are currently being communicated is that they would be insurance cuts. So in uh, to ensure against a larger downturn in economic growth, the Federal Reserve is thinking about potentially lowering interest rates uh, to avoid such a situation. So if you think about it in, in that sense, then clearly um, they can't possibly be justified because they are only there as insurance. So a recession has never entered into your forecast horizon in 2020? No, not at all, no. Um, we expect a slowdown, uh, but that's normal for uh, an economy with a maturing economic cycle. Uh, we have growth dipping below trend, absolutely. And we always did think that the Fed would cut interest rates next year, but we certainly didn't anticipate uh, such, such a deterioration in sentiment and such a change in, in, in uh, language from the Fed. And just as markets were behind the curve back in March, do you think they got ahead of themselves in July? Uh, potentially, although historically what's happened is uh, the Fed does tend to follow the markets. So although the Fed is currently signalling uh, a possibility of a rate cut this year uh, against the markets, two, well, three rate cuts potentially, um, uh, I think there is still a chance that if, if the market doesn't then gain some confidence on the back of the change in direction, then eventually the Fed will follow the market uh, and deliver those extra cuts. Anyway, this, this um, background of monetary easing has sustained the strong move in equity markets that started back in January. Uh, as of the end of June, the MSCI world is up over 17% in US dollar terms, perhaps 2% less in RAND terms. Emerging markets are also up, but a bit less, up 11%. So we're in a situation where equity markets are, certainly in the case of the US, at an all-time high, and at the same time, bond yields have fallen sharply. 
uh, as we're speaking, the U.S. 10-year yield is 2%. The German 10-year yield is minus 35 basis points. I is monetary easing enough to reconcile these two different views of the world that markets seem to be taking? I think it's worth remembering that um, as we've progressed through this year, it hasn't been smooth sailing for equities. We certainly had quite a few scares, which then prompted the response from central banks. Um, which, of course, lowered bond yields further, but then propped up uh, equities. So um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's a very big divergence in views, but the, the liquidity and easing from the central banks has helped push uh, equities higher. Um, investors are now still quite concerned around global growth. Um, you know, if you look at equities, uh, they're not terribly expensive. Certainly outside of the U.S. stock market, there's still quite a lot of value uh, to be had there. Um, and that tells you that there is still quite a lot of caution out there, despite certain records being hit. Now, how can I uh, justify these valuations? Well, we're comparing, of course, prices to earnings. And uh, based on these measures, uh, you still get quite a lot of value out of equities. And in the bond markets, do you think we'll still see yields as low as 2% in the US in six months' time? Actually, a lot of people think that bond yields can go even lower if they do deliver these interest rate uh, cuts. Um, so there's, there's still quite a lot of optimism for bond investors uh, on that front. Um, I mean, beyond the US, there's also a lot of talk that the European Central Bank is now changing its uh, direction, may also deliver interest rate cuts. Uh, and then more, more generally, a lot of emerging markets are also starting to think about this as well. Let's stay with the US for a moment, because one of the drivers of the fall in bond yields has been a fall in break-even inflation rates. In other words, the long-term rate of inflation that's discounted in bond yields. Th there's no sign anywhere of consumer price inflation picking up, even though we're 10 years into an expansion, we've got unemployment levels at remarkably low levels. So why is inflation not coming through? It is very strange because we have started to see wage inflation in the US starting to trend higher. Uh, and that's a natural reaction to very low unemployment rates and fiscal stimulus that have been coming through over the last year. Of course, if we don't get inflation, if companies don't pass on these extra costs to households and consumers, then it means that they're taking a hit on their own margins. Now, it might be that we're now in a very competitive world, that uh, the introduction of internet retailing uh, has put downward pressure on prices across the board. That certainly might be true. Um, but as an investor, what we really care about is can margins be defended? And if they can't be, then you have to be quite concerned uh, around the, the outlook for, for margins, as I think we've seen more recently, um, more generally. For the Fed, of course, if, if there's no inflation, then there's nothing to worry about. And, and that's why they're, they're, they're thinking that they could cut interest rates in case there's some downside risk to be had. And that's all the more true in Europe. Uh, we're beginning to see some signs of wage inflation picking up. But again, uh, consumer price inflation is stuck at 1% or less. Yeah, it's a similar story. I mean, the, the problem has been there longer in the US than it has been in Europe, because when you look at, for example, um, the unemployment rates across Europe, they're still quite a lot higher than they are in the US. In the US, we're talking about lows since the 1970s. In Europe, we're barely back to average. So the 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 lack of wage inflation in, uh, in Europe is not as surprising yet 
um, compared to the US, which is at a much more extreme point in its cycle. And, and update us with the growth picture in Europe, because we had a bit of a recovery in growth expectations early in 2019 that seems to have faded, and manufacturing in particular seems to be the weak point in Europe. Uh, th that's right. So the first quarter data came in quite a bit better than expected, um, 0.4 uh, quarter on quarter for the Eurozone aggregate. Um, a number of member states outperformed uh, expectations uh, over the quarter. Uh, and a lot of that was helped on by basically good weather and a rebound in manufacturing, especially of autos, which of course had suffered uh, on the back of the, the diesel emission scandals uh, last year. Um, some of that weakness has returned in the latest monthly numbers, um, although we think this might be Brexit related. So because we were expecting Brexit to actually happen at the end of March, a lot of the manufacturers brought forward plans to close down their plants uh, in April. So this was an anticipation of supply chains being blocked for a period of time round about the original date for Brexit. Yes, exactly. Now, this normally happens every summer anyway. Most plants shut down, let workers go on holiday, and in the meantime... Uh, they spend uh, the period sort of upgrading machinery, uh, servicing parts, and so on. So there is a natural shutdown that happens anyway. Um, and a lot of these plants were talking about bringing this forward into April just in case there was a need to cut back production aggressively. Now, as it happens, the, the shutdowns happened, of course, um, but uh, there's not been much of a fall off in demand. So, in theory, what should what we should see is a pickup in activity in going into May and June. Uh, but then, when we're supposed to get the shutdowns in July and August, they shouldn't happen in theory. So, we could end up seeing a very, very strong summer uh, when it comes to industrial production in Europe. Mm. We'll come back to Brexit in a moment, but. Given that the European Central Bank faces many of the same issues as the Federal Reserve, uh, it doesn't have the same tools to play with in that it's starting with a rate of uh, interest rate which is more like zero than uh, 2%. Uh, what can the ECB do? Because Mr Draghi said only 10 days ago that they were looking to deploy further monetary easing. Yes, well, the first thing they've done, which happened at the last uh, ECB meeting, was to push out the date for when they expect to raise interest rates. So it was going to be uh, sometime around the first quarter of next year. Now it's the middle of next year, and I suspect they'll push it out even further when it comes uh, to it. So forward guidance is a tool that they see as being quite important. Um, they do still think that they can cut interest rates even lower uh, not so much the, the main policy rate, which is, your, as you said, stuck at zero, but the deposit rate, the rate that is uh, usually offered to banks. At the moment, that's at minus 0 0.4. So technically, they're charging banks for any extra deposits that they hold at the central bank. Um, if they cut that further, then it becomes more expensive for banks to hold those reserves. But isn't the problem for the ECB that as they reduce rates even further... Uh, they weaken the banking system, which is already in a pretty parlous state in many European countries. Yes, I mean, they still argue that um, a lot of the banks in Europe are uh, mm. not as efficient as their American counterparts, and they should uh, work hard to cut costs and improve their efficiencies uh, that way. Um, but they are also talking about introducing a tiered deposit rate, which would alleviate to some extent uh, some of these issues that they would have. One of the other tools that are also, is also being discussed is quantitative easing. 
Now, in theory, they were very close to their limit on quantitative easing when they came to stop it at the end of last year. However, recently, there was a ruling by the European Court of Justice which said that actually there is no real limit. It's self-imposed. They can go ahead and increase purchases if they want. So that tool is certainly back on the table. And for that reason, a number of government bonds across Europe, especially uh, in the periphery of Spain and Italy, they've done very well in, in, in recent weeks. Those bond yields have been coming down sharply. Let's move to the UK. So we're getting a new prime minister at the end of July. Uh, but the issues to do with Brexit are exactly the same as with Theresa May. What's happening to demand in the UK, both from consumers and from companies? So we're seeing uh, still a lot of uncertainty uh, more generally. And so far, it's mostly impacted companies who don't feel that they can uh, take on the risk when it comes to investing in the UK in the way that they have done in the past. So business investment in aggregate is down uh, very sharply, in fact, over the last year. Uh, Household spending is holding up okay, but um, households are eating into their savings in order to uh, pay for the the existing sort of trend in, in consumer spending. That's not sustainable. Um, uh, you know, saving rates can't keep coming down. They're already at their almost at the lowest levels that we've seen since the 1960s. So there's a limit to how far that can go. But I think the biggest concern for me is um, when you look at the official data out of the UK, it might look healthy. We have GDP running at 1.8% year on year. But actually, within that data, there's a lot of inventory building, a lot of stockpiling that's been going on. Final sales, which is really the demand or consumption in the economy, is only running at 0.3% year on year. That's a big gulf. At some point, uh, we will have to see those inventories run down, which typically means a slowdown in GDP growth. And Brexit itself continues to defy economic analysis. But if you turn to the betting markets, as I understand it, the most likely outcome is that Brexit does happen on October the 31st. But there's a significant minority view that it may not happen till 2022 or indeed may never happen. That That's right. I mean, I think there's still quite a, uh, a lot of uncertainty around how Brexit could be pushed through. Uh, as you said earlier, uh, nothing has really changed. The parliamentary maths uh, is still very difficult to get a Brexit deal uh, through, regardless of who the prime minister is. There is a very high probability in betting markets that we're going to have another election and an even higher probability that there will be a vote of no confidence in the government, which in itself triggers a general uh, election. So these are uh, potentially events we could see coming through towards the end of the year. And you know, depending who becomes prime minister, I think we'll, we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about how they intend to go forward. And turning back to the global stage, uh, the most recent news on the China-US trade dispute following the G20 meetings is somewhat more uh, hopeful. Do you think this issue continues to weigh on markets? Will it ever be resolved? Or, or will there, is there a possibility of a clear-cut and positive resolution sometime later in 2019? We think there's a pretty good chance they're going to strike a deal that will roll back some of the tariffs and help resume the trade relationship towards the end of the year. And the reason why we say this is that it's pretty clear to us that the Chinese economy has slowed quite dramatically at the start of this year, to the point where they've had to uh, introduce fiscal measures and monetary policy loosening to help boost uh, growth. At the same time, Donald Trump is facing a presidential election next year, and he needs the economy to be running uh, at full speed and the markets heading higher 
uh, going into that election. So it makes sense for both sides to come to some kind of arrangement, uh, probably around the end of this year. Does this become a long-standing uh, agreement? It probably won't. I, I think there's still quite a, uh, a strong uh, chance that uh, we return to some of these issues after the presidential uh, election. And what does all this do for the dollar, given its importance to many other markets? Well, we, we're on a, a sort of a weaker dollar uh, path now, especially the, now that the uh, Federal Reserve has, has started to talk about cutting interest rates. That's very useful for emerging markets more generally, uh, be it equities or um, currencies as well. Um, a resolution to uh, the trade dispute could firm the dollar up a little bit, so could be negative on uh, at the margin, if you like, from a dollar effect. But you know, removing that uncertainty around trade would be a much more powerful stimulant uh, for emerging markets and actually any equity markets that are that are very dependent on trade, like the Japanese market, like European equities especially as well. And with the background of a weaker dollar, uh, many emerging economies, and this would include South Africa, have more scope to cut interest rates. So that, that should be a reasonably encouraging background for emerging markets in general. Yes, we mentioned earlier, when the Fed starts uh, cutting interest rates, uh, there's, there will be um, scope for emerging markets to do the same. Typically, with lower Fed interest rates, you start to see uh, more uh, dollar liquidity being made available. And for all those countries that trade in the dollar, not necessarily have the dollar as their own currency, but they trade physically in the dollar, um, that's very positive for them and for demand uh, for their exports. So looking out to the, the second half of, of 2019, what should we or what are you as an economist looking out for? Obviously, we've got the, the potential for rate cuts in the US, but what are, what are the major events that you think might move markets between now and the end of the year? So we're reasonably comfortable with the fundamentals of our economies. Um, where there is a risk is some of the weakness in the manufacturing sector spreading to the service sector, which, of course, is the, the bigger part of of these economies. So we're keeping a very close eye on anything to do with services right now, uh, making sure that they remain firm. Um, from the political side, uh, obviously keeping a close eye on Brexit as we, we come up to that October 31st uh, deadline. We also, we're also watching uh, what happens at the European Central Bank because there's going to be a change in president there. Um, the, the change in leadership shouldn't make that much of a difference, but you never know with these things. You have to keep a close eye on it. Um, and then finally, we're also uh, keeping a close eye on the presidential race in the US because that will start to heat up in the coming months. Um, and sometimes uh, you get to learn a little bit more about potential policy going forward from these debates. So a lot to look out for, but I think a reasonable balance between events that might prove positive and those that might be less positive for the market. We're out of time for this month. Um, Azad, thank you very much once again, and thank you all for listening. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998. Registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. 
please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment.